Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. And here God invites us to come, to get to know him, to understand him, to know him, to come into a relationship with him. Don't go boasting about how rich you are, how strong you are or how wise you are. We read it in Jeremiah chapter 9. So what can we boast in? Find out tonight as Dr. Corbett discovers we have no basis for boasting. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we take your word and we look at it and we hold it up like a diamond, I pray that you would speak to us in ways that we need to hear and that, God, it would be your empowering word that would change our lives. Father, we want to follow Christ. We want to be intimate with Christ. We want to know Christ. And we want to know Christ through your word preached and opened up to us today. Give us ears to hear, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing in our series on Jeremiah, the prophet who wept. And we've seen that Jeremiah is someone who prophesied from around about 620 or so BC through to around about at least 586 BC, when eventually the very thing he was prophesying, which was that Jerusalem would eventually be destroyed... The Babylonians who were, at the time when he began to prophesy this, were not an entity. They were not a world power. In fact, it was the Assyrians that were the world power at the time. And they had already conquered uh, northern Israel, the Assyrians. They were the world power. And Jeremiah was prophesying that the Babylonians would come in and do it. This, was, this almost seemed nonsensical to his hearers, but he was insistent. This is what God was saying would happen because Jerusalem had turned their backs on God. And so now this prophet, as we've seen Jeremiah, and we've looked so far through to this part where we're going to look from um, verses 23 to 26 of Jeremiah 9, we're going to see that, uh, that this prophet was someone who not only shared the word of God, he felt the word of God. This, this affected him deeply. At one point, um, we're going to see coming up in a couple of chapters, Jeremiah, he quits. He says, that's it. I can't do this anymore. He was so emotionally drained from the fact that he was pouring out his heart uh, from, from the heart of God. And these people weren't receiving what he was saying. And it broke his heart because he saw what eventually would happen as a result. And so he tried to resign And as he tried to resign, he's no sooner finished his prayer than he feels this fire burning in his bones. And it's the word of God. And he feels a renewed love for God. He feels a renewed passion for God. He feels a new call to the ministry again. And he says, oh, I hate it when you do that. You fill my bones with your fire. I can't help but love you. I can't help but serve you. I'm sorry. He's a wonderful example of somebody who's just yielded their life to God. And here's Jeremiah. And we come to this point where we sang this song earlier. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see there is no basis for boasting. No basis for boasting. And as I mentioned to you earlier about the transformation that took place in the life of the Apostle Paul, I hope that same transformation takes place in each one of us. That we become like John the Baptist who said of Christ in John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. That we exalt Christ and in the exalting of Christ, we're not putting ourselves down. We, our, 
Who we really are is staying the same. But Christ is becoming so much grander, so much more magnificent, so much more glorious in our vision that we realise he must increase and I must decrease. No basis for boasting. Let's read Jeremiah 9 and verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty or the strong man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. I mean, if you're going to have bragging rights, surely they're pretty good bragging rights. So here's the question. Why is the prophet, through the Spirit of God, so concerned about what these people are doing? I want you to ponder this. Jeremiah was the son of a priest. Now, that might not mean anything to anyone, but but let me tell you what that should mean to you. In this day and age, the average person couldn't read and write. The average person was uneducated. There was an elite group in society that could read and write and almost certainly guaranteed among that group were the priests. Jeremiah was a learned person. He was the very thing that he's describing here. The priests had power. The priests were wise. A wise person is somebody who's educated. And these guys, they had wealth. Jeremiah, we read later on, is told by the Lord, take some of your gold and buy this field. Man, I'd like the Lord to say that to me. So I haven't got any gold. So Jeremiah had wealth, he was learned, and he was in a position of power. So when he says this, he's talking to his colleagues. He's talking to his, the word is peers, those who are of the same social standing as him. And here's Jeremiah condemning these aristocrats. Aristo means above, uh, krats means the ones who rule, the ones who consider themselves above everyone else, in which Jeremiah was a part of this class, this aristocracy. And here's Jeremiah condemning the people for the very things that qualified them to be a part of this class. So here's the question, what's wrong with boasting? What's wrong with boasting? I mean, what's wrong with boasting? It's an interesting word, the word boasting. Some translations actually render this word boasting glory. Do not glory in your wisdom. Do not glory in your might or your strength. Do not glory in your riches or your wealth. This word boasting is giving glory. So when you're boasting about yourself, what are you doing? You're giving glory to yourself. You're saying, I did this, me, mine, I, me. God takes a very dim view of that. Boasting. In Judges 7.2, talking of Gideon, we, we, we read this. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my hand saved me. Oh yeah, I did that, I did that. That was me. Yeah, I've told you the story of Max Licardo, who was playing with his nephew in the driveway of his house. They came over for a visit and his little four-year-old nephew, he, he had him out there with a basketball. And there's the four-year-old nephew. He's trying to throw the basket right up 10 feet in the air to get it through the ring and he can't possibly make it. And, and so Uncle Max says, well, well, throw it this way. See if you can do it this way. So the little four-year-old kid, you know, this, this big, he's, and it goes this high. I was like, 
eight feet short. And so Uncle Max says, try it again. This time he picks him up. And there's, there's his nephew with the basketball. And he picks him up. He's got one hand on his back. He's, he's holding him sort of under his tush. And he picks him up. And the little kid just rolls the ball in through the ring. Next thing, he's fist pumping the air. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did that. All me. All me. All me. All by myself. I did that. And Uncle Max is there going, I could drop you, you know, right now. <laughs> and Max Licato puts him down. And then afterwards, he says, God showed him that that was him. That's what Max Licato did all the time. We're often in the hands of God. God actually puts the ball in our hands. All we do is drop it. And we drop it in the ring and we go, oh yeah, that was me. That's why boasting, giving glory to yourself is so ugly. It's so ugly. Boasting about yourself is actually, according to scripture, akin to committing evil. It's also a form of cursing God. When you boast about yourself, you are in effect cursing God. This is what it says in Psalm 10 verse 3. The wicked boasts of the desires of his soul and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. So by boasting about what you have and what you're going to get, in effect you're committing a great evil and you're actually cursing the Lord. Wow. You see why God's not all that thrilled about boasting. Psalm 94 verse 4. They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers do is boast. So God considers evil doing, boasting. In, in the New Testament, James 4, verse 16, as it is, you boast. Why? James says, in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. All boasting is evil. You see, so when we boast, we're committing evil. So sometimes we boast when we're not actually thinking we're boasting. Sometimes we boast and we, we're not necessarily trying to boast, but really it is. And this is something that James talks about as well. And it's boasting is when we're essentially saying this, I'm in control of my life. Me, me, all me, me. I'm doing it, me. My plan, my goals, my five-year plan, me. Oh yeah, me, I'm the man. The Bible says that's boasting. And it actually has a lot to say about not claiming that you're in control of your life. You know, someone has said, if you're a Christian and God is the co-pilot of your life, swap seats. Make him the pilot. What are you doing making God your co-pilot? So, Proverbs 27 verse 1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. It's one of the reasons why I find church growth goals so absurdly ridiculous because god it's his church he's the one who's in control he's the one who determines whether we rise or fall grow or shrink he's the one who determines who comes in who stays home he's the one who determines this what can we do except just give god our best and and, and we can't boast about what we're going to do proverbs 27 verse 1 now, in Romans chapter 1, it lists a whole lot of things. And in Romans chapter 1, if you know your Bible, you know it's generally there that we, we, we target homosexuality as kind of the big, big sin of our age. But yet, 
Notice in Romans chapter 1, homosexuality is just one in a list of a whole lot of sins that it mentions. Notice some of the sins that it mentions. Man, they're uncomfortable. And since they did not see fit, this is Romans chapter 1 verse 28, to acknowledge God, just to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parent, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they, they give approval to those who practice them. Wow. God actually looks at boasting. I'm going to do this. I've done this. I've done this. I'm pretty something, you know, because, well, after all, I don't say so myself. I'm awesome. Um, that kind of stuff, God lists in that category of sin. Wow. Is it any wonder the great apostle Paul considered himself a super apostle, but as he got to know Christ, he ended up saying, I'm the chief sinner. There was no boasting left in him at all. What else does boasting say? I mean, think about it. God's lifted you up. He's put the ball in your hands. All you did was let go of it. And it just fell in the ring and it, you, know, you think you did it. What is boasting saying? Oh, yeah, I did boasting saying, I'm not thankful to anyone. I don't need to be. I'm not grateful and I'm not thankful. That's what boasting says. You can see why God kind of takes a very dim view of it. But look at who God is targeting here. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. What's another word for wise man? Another word is learned, the educated, the highly educated. Let not the strong man or the mighty man boast in his power or strength. And let not the wealthy or the rich these, these three categories, the learned, the powerful, the wealthy, these are who Jeremiah is targeting. Think about this. If I was to ask a question, let's go with the opposites. Who'd like to be ignorant, weak and broke? We're not going to get a lot of takers. But if I was to say, who'd like to be learned, powerful and wealthy? Maybe a whole lot of us are going to go, I'm in. Where do I sign up? I'm in. And can I take the short class, the short edition class? I don't want to do the full term thing. I just want to get straight there. I mean, wouldn't you? So can you see a problem here? What's the problem? It's that if you are learned, if you are powerful, if you are wealthy, you are probably far more susceptible and prone to arrogance. Think about this. You're, no, sorry, let's, let's reword this another way. Think about Jesus, 12 years of age in the temple, this is incarnate, infinite knowledge. You got the picture? This is Jesus, the 12-year-old boy. He is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent. Who knows what that means? All-powerful. There it is. The, the omniscient one, the omniscient one, the <laughs> omnipotent one in, a, in the form of a 12-year-old boy. He knows everything there is to be known. And there he is, and he's in the temple. I call that one learned little kid. What's he doing in the temple? Asking questions. Asking questions. 
Isn't that amazing? You see, if you know everything, there's an attitude, isn't there? You've got nothing to teach me. You've got nothing to show me. I'm not open to learn anything. But Jesus wasn't doing that. Jesus wasn't arrogant like that. Jesus was there with these guys. He knew far more than all of them. And there he is displaying an attitude. Didn't Jesus do that a lot? Think about his baptism. Why did Jesus get baptised? Remember what he said? I'm doing this to set the example. When Jesus is there, a 12-year-old boy, he knows everything. There he is, 12-year-old boy, and he's asking questions. He's setting an example for us. No matter how smart you think you are, no matter how much you think you know or you've learned, don't become arrogant. Don't take on that attitude. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30. This is out of that same passage where Paul, the apostle, is, his attitude is beginning to change and he says this, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What's Paul saying? Rather than saying, I did this, I did this, I can do this, saying, look, I, in myself, I can't do this. In myself, I could never have done this. If it wasn't for Jesus working in me, I couldn't do anything. That's what Paul says. That's how Paul, who was learned, who was powerful and who was wealthy, had his attitude changed as well. What's the remedy? What's the remedy for arrogance and boasting? The remedy is to give God glory humbly. Give glory, giving glory to God humbly. Here's an interesting point. Of all the forms of worship, of all the religions of the world, Christianity, this is according to John MacArthur, if you want a source, John MacArthur says this, of all the religions, of all the worship styles, of all the religions of the world, Christianity is the only one that sings its worship. And it sings in a way where it says when someone is singing in a church service, they can be teaching you. 1 Corinthians one twenty eight says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. Verse 30, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, and now Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is going to quote this passage in Jeremiah. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you've received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Wow. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17. He quotes Jeremiah, this passage in Jeremiah again. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And Galatians 6, 14, he says this. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So for Paul found that his boasting was only boasting about Jesus. 
boasting about Jesus. He could boast about Jesus. Boasting, according to 1 Corinthians 13, you know, um, where it lists what, what love is, it, it says, love does not boast. Boasting is unlovely. It's unloving. We shouldn't do it. So let's come back to these three categories. The learned, the powerful, and the wealthy. God used people in these categories. After all, the Apostle Paul was well and truly in these three categories. He was learned, he was powerful, and he was wealthy. There was a point there where Paul was in prison and his uh, jailer was waiting for Paul to bribe his way out. You only bribe if you've got something to bribe with, I presume. So Paul was known to have wealth. He was definitely wealthy and he was definitely learned and powerful. But there is a problem Sometimes success is far more difficult to handle than failure. I think sometimes God holds us back from success because it's for our good. G.K. Chesterton, the great wordsmith of the 20th century, had someone pass him on the street of London who was clearly wealthy, very wealthy. And G.K. Chesterton, who was able to say a whole lot with just a few words, as this wealthy man walked past him, G.K. Chesterton said, There but for the grace of God go I. Sometimes it's the grace of God that just keeps you modest. It keeps you humble. So the next time you haven't got that new Wii computer game or whatever it is, or or flat screen TV, our neighbours just recently bought a 3D TV and we're going, that's great. (laughs) Then they started to say, But it's really bad because there's no 3D movies for rent at the video store. There's no television station broadcasting 3D programs. I go, oh, that's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, my heart... Anyway, so (laughs) the problem is when you haven't got much, you realise you need God. The problem when you've got everything, when you've got all the toys you could ever want, when you've got everything you could ever need, You don't think you need God. That's a problem. That is a huge problem. So this is the biggest problem with learning power and wealth. It deprives us of recognising our dependence upon God. And the greatest place you can be on this planet is recognising you need God. It's It's that simple. One old commentator said, you know, God had actually already given Israel three examples, three warnings, three warnings of these three dangers, learning, power and wealth. The dangers, uh, he, he gave these warnings and the warnings go like this, Solomon, Samson and Ahab. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, the Bible says, yet he died backslidden. He died away from God, perhaps. We don't know exactly, but according to what we read, that's what happened. So wisdom can sometimes cause you to become so cocky. It's all me. It's all me. I I did that. Me. Wealth. Ahab, you might remember, was married to that absolute charming beauty queen named Jezebel. And he wanted a vineyard. Remember he wanted a vineyard? And what what did Jezebel say? What happened? Well, I went and offered him more money than he wanted for it. And he said, no, <laughs> leave it to me. She had him murdered. So he obviously had heaps of wealth. Look what it did to him. He married Jezebel. 
after his money. So if you haven't got all the learning there is to get, if you haven't got all the power there is to get, remember Samson, his strength, what did he do? He walked away from God. He slept with prostitutes. You know the saying, stop it or you'll go blind? Samson, he died with some amount of glory, but it was all too late compared to the damage that he'd done by walking away from God in his arrogance. In his arrogance. Let's read verse 24, Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Wow. Psalm 34, verse 2, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. So here we're told, this is what you should boast about. Boast that you understand me. Boast that you know me. Okay, who's going to go first? Who really understands and knows God? I hope you see this. No one. None of us really understand and know God. Who fully understands God? And yet, God is saying, I want you to understand me. I want you to know me. What is he saying? It's a relationship sense. And here, God invites us to come, to get to know him, to understand him, to know him, to come into a relationship with him. This is what we need to know. So knowing about someone is not the same as knowing them. And this is what the prophet is calling these people. He's not talking to pagans. He's not talking to people who didn't know God. These are the people that claimed, we know God. These were the prophets. These were the priests. These were the rulers of of Jerusalem. These are the ones that claimed they already knew God. And Jeremiah says, you know him squat. You don't know him. You come to church every, every week. You even carry a big Bible under your arm. Your iPad has got more Bible apps than anyone else, but you don't know God. He didn't actually say that bit about the iPad. I just sort of threw that in as an application. But you know, Jeremiah is saying, if you knew God, you'd know God was really concerned about three things. These three things are this, love, justice, and righteousness. Notice this about these three words. They are all relationship words. You cannot love without loving someone. You cannot be concerned for justice if you're not concerned with people and how they are treated. You can't be concerned with righteousness unless you understand how it interacts with others. All of these things about how we treat others. And he's just spent nine chapters saying that you are brutalizing people. You are not loving people. You don't care for people. You are acting unjustly toward people. It's wrong. If you knew God, you wouldn't live that way. And this is what he's saying to the elite. Whoa, boy, if you touch your Bible, you'll hear, this is hot. This is Jeremiah saying the heart of God. Notice this. He's just saying, verse 24, part A, this is what I want you to boast about. Boast that you understand me. Boast that you know me. Boast that you love me. Part B, verse 24, part B, be concerned with love, justice, and righteousness. Love others. Love God, love others. Does that sound like something Jesus said? He summed up all of the law with these two commands, didn't he? Love God with all your heart and love others as you love yourself. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. That's what Jesus said. In verse 25, as we ask this this question, the, the, the last part of verse 24, God says this, 
For in these things I delight. Here's the question. Does it matter to you what God delights in? Does it matter? If you knew you were doing something that God was not happy with, would that matter to you at all? You see, to Jeremiah's audience, it didn't. These are the things that I delight in, says the Lord. When I read that, there is something in my heart that says, Oh God, I want to delight your heart. I love you more than life itself and I want to please you. I want to be concerned with what you're concerned about. Jeremiah 9.25 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Verse 26 Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair. Corners of hair? What's the, God's upset about haircuts? You see, he told the, the Jews, keep your hair, don't cut the corners of your hair, just keep, because I want you to look different. I want you to act different, be different, and I want you to look different. That's why today, if you see Orthodox Jews, they go around, they've got the hair sort of down here, they don't cut it, they, keep, they don't cut the corners of their hair based on this, this idea. God wanted his people to be different from the world. I think he still does. It's not a matter of how you cut your hair or don't cut your hair or whether you cut it all off or let it grow or whatever. The difference is in here. It's our attitude. And so all these nations are uncircumcised. Well, that's obvious. They're not Jewish. Of course they're uncircumcised. But listen to what God says. And all the house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. Whoa. Which is worse? Well, according to the New Testament, which has a little bit to say about this, Romans Chapter 2 and verse 28 says this, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. In other words, you may have been circumcised a Jew physically, but that doesn't make you a Jew. In other words, one who is part of God's people. Romans 2.28 says this, Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Circumcision is cutting away that which is going to inhibit sensitivity. Another way of saying it, the prophet said, is you have a heart that's calloused. And in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives another picture. It's the picture of taking your hand, putting on a hot plate. And the first time you put on a hot plate, star, yow, ah, blistering up. What happens if you did it again? You'd burst the blisters, star, speaking in tongues. And then you'd be, your hand would be all blue. And then the next time you do it, you'd kill the nerve endings. The skin would go really hard and you wouldn't feel it again. And that's called searing. And that's what the Apostle Paul says people have done with their heart when they keep, keep, keep being disobedient to God. It's searing their conscience, searing their heart. And God says, if you come to me, you've got to let me take all that off. Kind of like, kind of like that Eustace scrub who had to let Aslan tear his skin off him, tear the callousness of his exterior off him. Unless God has done that to you, You're not in relationship with him. You can't know him and you can't understand him. So here's the question. Has God circumcised your heart? Has God circumcised your heart? Here's how you can know. I remind you the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 31. The effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills, And he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. How do you know God has circumcised your heart? Here's three things that will happen. Number one, you become aware of your arrogance. You don't say, well, I'm not arrogant like them. That is arrogant. 
That is arrogant. Instead, like the other day, I got a Facebook invitation to join Pharisees Anonymous. And I said, delete, how dare they think I'm a Pharisee? Then I realized I was acting like a Pharisee. I should have joined. Anyway, too late, I deleted it. Number two. Number one, you become aware of your arrogance. You admit it. Number two, you find yourself praying to know God. Oh God, I've let you down in so many ways. I've let you down so many times, but I want to know you. And the third thing, the effectual calling, it says in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, works in our will. It works in our persuasion. It works in our minds, it says, enlightening our minds. Something transforms on the inside. How do you know if God has circumcised your heart? Your attitude changes from care less. I don't care about people, care less, to caring. I care. Has God broken you in this way? When God breaks you, you feel compassion that you didn't have before. It's hard for me now. And, I, and I, gee, I'm not saying God's finished breaking me because it's a dangerous thing to say that. Well, I've been through all this. That was so yesterday for me. I've now moved on. Oh, boy. God has a way of going, oh, really now? Will you pray with me? Lord, we want to steward these things well, not arrogantly, but humbly. Now, if you're listening to me right now, wherever you are, in your car, in your kitchen, in your lounge room, in your bedroom, out on a walk, wherever you are right now listening to me, and you know that your heart is not right with God, you've never... You've never come to have peace with God. Right now, you can pray a prayer that can not only change your eternity, it can change the rest of your life. And that prayer simply invites Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and become saviour of your soul. Why don't you pray that prayer? Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come and live in my life. Be the pilot of my life and help me to live for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. No basis for boasting. More from Dr. Corbett in the series on Jeremiah next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 21, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you missed the introduction to the Jeremiah series, you can receive a complimentary DVD copy just by writing to us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. If you're listening outside Australia for a gift of any amount to cover shipping, email your details to us to request your complimentary DVD. The address, mail at findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.